You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. We are in the family-ish series. We all need help in the family, in the family area. So I'm going to try to help you a little bit this afternoon. Um, do you guys remember um, like sitting at the table and having dinner with your family? Remember family dinners? That used to be like a thing where like you'd sit down with your family and it wasn't so crazy and busy and you'd sit down and you didn't even have phones or iPads or YouTube on in the background or anything like that. Like it was like family dinner time. Um, I remember family dinner time and I remember um, some family dinners were good and some family dinners weren't so good. I looked forward to some family dinners and I didn't look forward to other family dinners because there was food I liked and food I didn't like. And uh, I remember uh, literally sitting at the table after everybody else, I have two older sisters, had left, and I'm just staring at cold spinach. You ever, you ever do that? <laughs> refusing to eat it. I'm like, I ain't eating this, this spinach. I hate spinach. I'm not eating it. But my parents would refuse to allow me to get out of the table until I ate the spinach. It's like, you know, you can wait as long as you want, but you're eating the spinach. And uh, I think we need to do that to our kids a little bit more these days, right? Make them sit there until they eat. I, had a, I talked to a psychologist one time. He said, just let the natural consequences happen. If you don't eat it, you don't have to eat it right now, but you'll have to eat it eventually, and the longer you wait, it's just going to get cold. It's going to be gross. It's just a natural consequence of you being an idiot. You know, just, just let it happen. Um, I remember other times coming home, and like you pu- I pull up from like in the, in the uh, driveway, and even from the driveway, I could smell the crock pot. And I, I'm not a crock pot guy at all. I don't like crock pots. I don't like stew. I don't like pot roast or whatever else you guys put in there. And so I would come home, and I would be like, I'd be mad that I had to somehow try to scarf down Crock-Pot food. <laughs> and so I just knew that that dinner wasn't going to be fun. My, my, my kids do the same. They're like, Dad, what are we having for dinner? And I tell them, and they either smile or frown. You know, and it's like you either battle through dinner or, or, it's, or it's fun. And sometimes you just give in and you just, whatever, okay, you want taquitos? Okay, you can have taquitos. Um, but I also remember coming home to, like, the good dinners where my mom would be making, like, um, the 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 taco shells, like hard taco shells in the oil, and it'd be taco night, and that's exciting, taco night's exciting, and then, um, or my favorite night was pizza night. Pizza night was Friday nights at our house, because Saturday was game time, so we'd have to, my dad would be like, we got to get carbs in you, so we're going to have carbs on Friday night. I think that was before they started doing nutrition stuff, and like all that stuff was available, but hey, we just mac pizzas, and you know, it was fun. Um, My worst memory is fried okra. Anybody know what that is? It's so disgusting. I'm getting the chills even talking about it. <laughs> but good things happen at the table. Good things happen at the, at the dinner table, and it's a positive thing. In fact, there are scientific, um, scientific proof that having family dinners improves your life. I'm going to read you nine things, and uh, this isn't even in the Bible. This is just good stuff. It says, family dinners mean better family relationships. It causes children, younger children especially, to feel a sense of security and feeling of belonging. These are all scientifically proven tests. Family meals lead to healthier food choices. Probably less soda, less fried food. Eating as a family leads to better grades. It's a proven study. Family dinners are a chance to explore new foods. I know for for our family, my wife makes my kids, she'll go on these kicks and like, every day this way, you're going to try something new, you know? So they're like, whatever. Um... Family dinners lead to greater happiness. Researchers examined 5,000 teenagers 
And they show when children eat with their parents regularly, they are more likely to be emotionally strong and have better mental health. Homemade meals promote portion control. How many people get depressed when they go to Cheesecake Factory and you see like the calories on everything? It's like this side salad is like 1,500 calories. You're like, wow. And then you just, you just go for it. Yeah, you just go for it. 60% more calories on average when you go out to eat than when you stay home. Family dinners equal healthy kids. Family dinners relieve stress. They did a study, BYU did a study of IBM employees that found that sitting down to a family meal helped working moms reduce the tension and stress from long hours at the office. And eating at home saves money. Those are just nine benefits of eating around a table with your family. I think we should kind of get back to that, have some family dinners. Um, title of my message this afternoon is called The Table. The Table. Powerful things can happen at the table. And family, uh, your family at home, uh, things can happen at the table. Your family in church, things can happen at the table. Your family in the workplace, things can happen at the table. Powerful things can happen at the table that transcends just your family at home. Fa uh, powerful things can happen with your friends at a table. We just had friends giving for our young adults. Powerful things happen at the table like pie eating contests, that's powerful. Um, and so we wanna look at today, I wanna look at a famous family dinner in the Bible. And I wanted to, to see what happened at this famous family dinner, the, the dinner that we call and we know as the Last Supper or communion. This was Jesus with his family. His family was the disciples, they were his family, they were his friends and, and, uh, and he, had, he chose that before I go to the cross, you know what I wanna do, I wanna have dinner. I wanna have communion with my friends or with my family. Communion from the Greek word means sharing of a meal or breaking of bread. The Latin root uh, means participation by all. So Jesus wanted to, before he went to the cross, have his family with him and commune with them, share a meal with them and have everybody participating and joking around. I love it when we, um, in Hero, we have a depiction of the Last Supper and the guys are joking around, throwing bread at each other, you know, like punching each other. That's how it was. It wasn't all like spiritual and crazy. Not every dinner has to be all spiritual and, and crazy. It needs to be fun. It needs to be fun. So I want to pick up the story and kind of read through um, the Last Supper or communion and just pick a few things out that Jesus did and, uh, and talk about some things that he talked about. Just four things, a simple message, practical message this afternoon. Luke 22, 14 to 15 says this. When the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him, his family. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Isn't that crazy? That before Jesus went to the cross to suffer, the one thing he wanted to do was to have a meal with them and he desired it. That was the thing he desired. He didn't say, hey, let's go bungee jumping. Hey, Pete, let's go skydiving. Let's play Fortnite all day, just one last time. Let's go to Vegas, baby. He didn't say any of that. He said, let's just get together. Let's have a meal together. Let's have communion together. Let's connect, let's talk, let's talk about life. Let's, let's do that. Verse 17 um, says, then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. 
and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Come on. Jesus is bold in your face. How you like me now? In another version of the same story, it says, my betrayer is the one that's dipping his food with me. And Judas says, is it I? And he says, yes, it's you at the table. And he says, woe to that man. He gave a little bit of instruction at the table. Verse 27, then they start arguing about like, who's going to be greater? Jesus is talking about going to the cross. And they're like, who's going to be greater, me, you, or me? And he says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Isn't, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. And then uh, in the Matthew rendition, 2630, the last thing they do, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is a famous family dinner that Jesus partook in, and there's some things I think we can learn. Simple message, the first one is connection. Jesus used this final meal to connect with his family, with his disciples. Before I got married, I used to watch movies like a lot of movies. And uh, when you play baseball and you know, you're, you're playing in all these podunk little towns where there's nothing else to do, and so you go to those places and you go to see the movie because there's nothing else to do. I used to go to the movie. First, I'd stop at Chick-fil-A because they didn't have Chick-fil-A on the West Coast back in the day, and I was in Florida, so I'd go to Chick-fil-A, get some Christian chicken, some down-home good Christian chicken, and then I'd go to the movies and I'd watch a movie. After the movie was over, I'd walk out of the movie very calmly and nonchalantly, looking back and forth to see what other movie might be starting at the time when I was leaving this movie, and I'd cruise in and catch a double feature. You know, I just got to catch a double feature now and then. Like I saw every movie. And, uh, and then I got married, and I realized there was love languages. And apparently, going to a movie with my spouse is not quality time. I thought, I'm thinking, man, we're together. We're watching movies. I also thought, hey, we're sitting on the couch watching some football on a Saturday. Come on. Is that, that's quality time. We're together. And, uh, but apparently, if we're not talking like this, it's not quality time. And so since I've been married, the only movies I get to see is when I take my kids to like Disney movies. And so, you know, uh, you know it's real, real life. And so, uh, so I, I realized that I had to, if I wanted to connect with my wife, I had to take her to dinner and look her in the eyes. It was like the one thing I didn't pray for was like, I prayed for that she would be blonde. I prayed that she would be beautiful. I prayed that she would love God. I prayed that she would be athletic, yet girly. I forgot to pray that she would like to watch sports with her husband. God's like, I ain't giving it to you. You didn't pray for it. You didn't ask. Still working on that. But, we're, but, but, but she needs me to look at her and talk to her. Actually, she doesn't even need me to talk. She just needs me to listen and go like this. She's just, best conversations we have, I don't say anything. She's just answering her own questions, solving her own problems. Just let her, just let her, just let her go. Just let her talk. And so that's how, that's how we connect. You know, we're trying to, I'm trying to understand her. So the Bible says live with your wife with understanding, even if your understanding is I don't understand you, you know. <laughs> So we connect, but we connect at the table. It's, it's, anytime we have tension in our marriage, it's because we're not connecting at the table. It's because we haven't talked. It's because I've, I haven't taken her out to dinner and looked her in the face, or perhaps just taken a night at home. You don't have to go out every night as long as you, your kids have a bedtime. Maybe you should get your kids a bedtime so then you can hang out with your spouse. And so we can do that sometimes. You know, maybe we'll just have a glass of wine and talk 
and, and do that. My kids go to bed at 8.30, so we, get, we can hang out every night if we want to. Um, so, but we need to talk. Otherwise, there's tension, and it's not good. It's ugly. And now that, now that we have kids, a great time for us to connect is around the table. My wife's great about making food and thinking ahead and, and preparing food so that we can come home and take and have dinner at the table. And I know it's not every night. We have jobs. We have sports. We have all this kind of stuff. But there are nights every single week where we get together and we eat around the table. And I found it to be a great time to connect with my kids. And if, if I remember eating dinner with my family, I know my kids are going to remember eating dinner, eating dinner with me. And so I often think and, and, and listen to what other people do at dinner and what other questions people ask their kids to try to engage because I found that if you're not leading the conversation with your kids you're going to get one word answers like yes no maybe I don't know whatever you know and so you got to lead the conversation so I was listening to Sean Bowles who's like probably the 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 voice the prophetic voice around the world today and uh, he said that he didn't have like some crazy encounter with God and that's how he became this prophetic voice he said that his parents used to just ask him hey what's God talking to you about that was just what they would ask him. And so he started actually just trying to listen. And now all of a sudden he's like the voice in the world. And so I said, hey guys, you know, I heard that and I went home the next time we had dinner. And I'm like, hey guys, I talked to this guy and you know, uh, he just used to try to hear God and God used to speak to him. And now he speaks all over the world about prophetic things and words of knowledge and all this stuff. And so no, kid you not, within a couple of nights, it, I think it might have been the next time we had dinner or two times later, um, my son Hudson comes to me and goes, Dad, I had this dream, and God was speaking to me in this dream about, just like you said, about this. And he starts telling me about what God was talking to him about, and then my other kids are chiming in. And, and so it was just a good, a good question to ask. The other things that we do, you know, we went to Brigantine for my wife's birthday, and um, I said, hey, kids, you know, no phones, none of that stuff. And we said, hey, say something really nice about your mom. What's one thing you love about mommy? So we went around and said stuff we loved about mommy, and then, and then we played Who Knows Mommy Best? And then, you know, it's a competition, you know, like mommy says, hey, where did I go to college? And then everybody guesses or whatever. What's my favorite color? Everybody gets, and then you keep track and who wins, whatever. So we're having like the best time at Brigantine in La Mesa, you know, like the best time. And so my kids, like last night, um, instead of, I didn't tell my, my kids where we were going. We were going axe throwing. I didn't tell them where we were going. And my daughter's like, can we go back to Brigantine? You know, like she knows we have fun at, she calls it Brigantine, Brigantine. And so there's just ways that you can connect with each other around the table that's powerful. And that transcends, like I said, beyond just your family at home. It transcends into the family of God. This is a family of God. It, it transcends into your workplaces. Go sit down with the people that you work with and you'll realize that they're real people. You'll realize that they have a life behind their, their work and you'll get to know them and you'll connect with them. Um, and so, and, and, and really discipleship actually happens in relationship. We think discipleship and teaching people about God is only the, only the preaching or if, you know, you share a, a scripture out of the Bible or whatever. But oftentimes discipleship and revelation happen just having dinner, just having a meal. There's a crazy story in the Bible in Luke 24, 25 to 32. And it's these two guys, two disciples, and they're walking and they're all depressed because Jesus had already died uh, at this point, he had already risen from the dead again, but they didn't know that. They were like, man, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to save Israel. And then Jesus literally rolls up on the scene. And then Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. How crazy would that walk be if you were just walking with your buddy and all of a sudden the Messiah rolls up and starts opening up the scriptures about himself? The funny thing was they didn't know who he was. 
They just thought he was some guy. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as Jesus sat at the table with them, that he took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and, they, and then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures to us? It's a crazy story because you would think that as he's opening up the scriptures, as he's being spiritual, as he's declaring the word of God to them, they would get a, get a revelation of who Jesus was. But it wasn't until he gave them food, until he sat at the table and passed out the food and they had communion, did they get a revelation. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus with us. But we think we got to do, something was burning in them. They knew something was different. But until they had dinner at the table, their eyes were open. How awesome would it be if you just had people over to your house and just had dinner with them and started to connect with them? I wonder how, how many people's eyes would be open because people need to see how you live. They need to see how you talk. They need to see how you react. They need to see who you are. And you, you invite them around the table, crazy things happen. Matthew 9 and 10 says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus wasn't afraid to have dinner with, with, uh, with people that weren't Christians. How amazing is that? We get so Christianized. We speak Christianese. We go eat Christian chicken. We go to Christian parks. We live on Christian streets. We don't do anything unless it's Christian. I remember a few years ago we had uh, prayer and feasting instead of prayer and fasting. And we challenged all of our Connect leaders to go have a meal with somebody that doesn't go to our church at least once a month. Like how good would that be if we all did that? If we all had a meal with somebody that doesn't come here once a month. I think we, we touched this whole city. Jesus wasn't afraid to do that. Psalm 23, 5 says, you this is David speaking, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I love it because David is talking about, he's in the presence of his enemies, and instead of God saying, hey David, here's a spear, here's a shield, go fight, God says, or David says, you prepared a table before me. So I went and sat at the table so that, so that I can encourage you, so that I can speak into you. I am the bread of life. Let me feed you. Let me remind you that I'm with you. Let me remind you that greater is he that is in you, that he is in the world. Let me remind you that you can do this thing. David's saying, God, you just prepared a table. Another version says you prepared a feast in the presence of my enemies. Man, when you're in the presence of your enemies, one of the things that we need to do is just go sit down at the table with Jesus and let him feed us. Let him encourage us. Strengthen ourselves in him. So we need to use the table for connection. The other thing that, that Jesus talks about is servanthood. Servanthood, verse 27 says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I'm among you as the one who serves. I love Jesus because he didn't, he, didn't, uh, he didn't rebuke being great. He just said, here's the way to greatness. He says, through, thir through serving. One of the things that my wife and I tell couples all the time, and I say it all the time, is try and outserve your spouse and don't keep score. How hard is that, though? I like keeping score. I hate doing laundry. I hate folding laundry. It hurts my back. I did. Thank you. Can I get a witness? All the fellas are like, amen. I don't know what it is with the, with the fellas in the back thing with the laundry, but I hate it. And then half the time, my wife comes and says, you didn't fold that right anyway, so she fixes it. And I'm like, whatever. 
But at least I get to watch sports when I do that. That is the one time I put my foot down. I'm watching sports on TV. I don't care. Um, I'll die to myself, but I'm going to watch some sports. Um, but I was, I was reading this book, and it was talking about how serving somebody actually makes you love them more. And how the, the person serving the other person actually loves them more than the person receiving who's being served. It's more blessed to give than to receive. If we can get into that mindset of, of serving, then you're going to find that you're going to start to even love people more. That's why it's important to get your kids involved in the house duties. Get your kids serving. Get your kids doing things. We got, we got chores that my kids have to do, you know, every week. And, and I've found that they, they feel empowered. They feel accomplished. They feel valued. They're good at it. They like to do it even though they complain sometimes, but they end up liking to do it, and, and it's good. And even, even to the point where, you know, we just need to get our kids to do the, the, the basics. Like, just pick up your clothes, just put your dishes in the sink. Just take care of stuff. But we, 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 we get all mad at our kids because they're entitled, but we're the one that created it. Let's make our kids do some stuff, especially just the easy stuff, just the basics. Like, like once you get your kids out of diapers, you think it'd be, like, exciting, right? You think it's exciting, but your job isn't over. The, the diapers are done, but your job isn't over. Now when they go to the bathroom, you still got to go with them. I could be sitting watching TV and all of a sudden I hear this, Daddy, I'm done. So you got to go in there and take care of business. But then they get to a certain age. And I hear, Daddy. I'm like, I ain't going in there. You're almost a man. I'm not going in there. My wife would be like, are you going to go in there, John? Are you going to go in there? And I'm like, nope. If you want to do it, you can go in there. I'm not going in there. I had to put my foot down. You're almost a man. I ain't going in there. So eventually you just got to make them do their thing. Like, you do it yourself. I don't care if you sit in there all day. I'm not going in there. Do it yourself. Daddy, my legs hurt. Don't care. <laughs> That's real life, too. I'm not even kidding. But I can remember when I was like an early teen and my, uh, my parents took me to this house. We adopted this family over Thanksgiving and they didn't have much. So we went there and my, we bought them a bed and a mattress and sheets and all that kind of stuff. My dad and I put together the bed and then we made her bed. This is like a seven-year-old girl and she was so cute. Never had anything. And she's watching us make her bed. She never had a bed before. And uh, we make her bed and she says, wow, you guys are good at that. Like making her bed. All we did was just like make a bed, like a little twin bed. She said, wow, you guys are really good at that. You must have done that before. And I was like, wow. And I remember that to this day going, man, I, I, I am so much more grateful that I got to give her a bed than if someone would ever gave me a bed. Because I got to see the look on her face. I got to see her light up. I got to realize that she's going to sleep in a bed for the very first time. Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It doesn't mean we don't receive. It just means let's get into an attitude of serving Jesus, who was king of kings and lord of lords, who, who came. And he didn't serve out of a, a place of weakness. He didn't come as a servant. He came to serve. He came as God, but he served. He humbled himself and he served. It's not a place of weakness. And, um, and when it comes to the family of God, it's actually us. It's actually the servants in the house. It's actually us that, that transform people's lives. 
God gets them saved. God brings them into the house. He restores their soul. He comes and lives in them, but then he, he, he wants us to transform them. He wants us to disciple them. And that's what happens in the story of the prodigal son. If you read that story, we all know that story. It's the prodigal son goes to his dad. He says, dad, give me my inheritance right now. And then he goes and wastes it on wasteful living. And then he's, he finds himself in pig slop in a famine. And he goes, wait a second, what am I doing here? Why don't I go back to my father's house where there's abundance, where there's blessing? So he goes back to his father's house. And the Bible says in verse 21, it says, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. So the father saves him. He, he, he accepts him back in, but then he looks to the servants to bring the robe out. So the servants come and get the robe and they, and they cover this guy. Even though he's been in pig slop, even though he probably hasn't showered in a month, even though he's got stains on his past, they bring out the best robe. And they do it without condemnation. They do it without judgment. It's our job to welcome people into the house of God, put the best robe on them without judgment, even though they have stains in their past, and give them a robe. I love what Cy Rogers used to say. If you guys remember who he was, he would say, if you overlook my transgressions, I'll overlook yours before he preaches. Ooh, boom. So then it says, then it says and put a ring on his hand. It's up to us to restore their authority, to tell them, hey, you are no longer who you used to be. You are a son or a daughter of God. Put the ring on, servants. Come on, put the ring on, servants. Put the sandals on his feet. It's up to us to tell people, hey, you got an assignment. You have a mission. You have a purpose in this life. God has called you to do something. I don't care about your past. God already forgot about it. He has a mission for you, but it's up to us. It's up for the servants. And then he says, hey, throw a party for him. Celebrate with him. Have a friend's giving. Do something. Get into, get into a party. You'll be merry. Celebrate. That's why we got to be in the connect group. We got to be connected with each other. Don't be, don't be by yourself. Don't be alone. Get connected with somebody. Let somebody know that it's your birthday coming up. Yeah. That you're going to Cabo or something. <laughs> the third one that, he, that Jesus does at this famous dinner is prayer. I told you it's going to be a simple message today. Prayer. Prayer, we all need to pray. At the table is a, a powerful time to pray. If you get with your family or with your connect group or whatever and you pray, it's a powerful thing. My, my family and I aren't very good at this, actually. We don't pray a lot before we eat. <laughs> but we do pray every night before we go to bed. And my kids love it, and they won't go to bed until we, until we pray. And so it's a powerful thing. But if you can pray at the table, um, the most famous prayer in the Bible, the Lord's Prayer, it says this. It starts out like this. Our Father, not my Father, our father, because it's a family. He's our father. And then it goes in to say, uh, towards, towards the bottom it says, give us, not me, but give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In, in other words, pray together. It's us, it's we, it's our. Pray together, it's a powerful thing. You're gonna need someone to pray with you at some point in your life. Be connected with people that can pray. Matthew 18, 19 says, again, when he says again, he's trying to remind us, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. In other words, your agreement on earth activates heaven in your life. It gets the attention of your Father if you can agree on earth. What I used to do is I used to pray to God about my wife. God, fix her. God, she, it's like almost like she's the enemy. Like she's doing this and she's doing that. 
until one day I decided to take her hand and pray with her against the enemy. Because it's not her that I'm fighting, it's principalities and powers that we're fighting. So what if we prayed together against the enemy instead of praying against each other like we're the enemies? How much better would our relationships be? Now, if you are a praying person, I don't like to pray all the time. I do it, but not every morning do I wake up and be like, man, I'm excited to go pray today, but I do it. And, and it's a sacrifice sometimes. And if it's a sacrifice to pray, I wanna make sure that I'm getting results. And so if you are a praying person, this verse right here should scare the living daylights out of you. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. My wife always pulls the weaker vessel thing if she doesn't want to do something. <laughs> I'm the weaker vessel. <laughs> and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Whoa. Whoa, if you're married and you're out of unity, not honoring your wife, not honoring your spouse, all of a sudden your prayers might be hindered. So that sacrificial hour you just got up to pray, might, your prayers may just be hitting the ceilings because you're out of honor, you're out of unity with your wife. This verse haunts me. That's why during worship a lot of times I'm repenting. Lord, I forgive her, I swear, I forgive her right now. I forgive her. I remember this, this, uh, this one specific time where this verse got real, is when I was driving on the 52 West from my house to go pray for a guy who had kidney problems. I got healed of kidney problems, so I like to pray for people with kidney problems because freely receive, freely give, I like that. So I was going, and the problem was, I'm, get, I'm in the car driving, and it was like the Holy Spirit whispered this verse to me, because me and my wife were fighting. And we, it, was, it was conflict when I left the house. And I was like, I'm out of here. And I just left to go pray. And I'm like, what if I go pray for him and my prayers are hindered? And he doesn't get healed. This guy's depending on me to pray for him. So I called my wife. And I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. I honor you. You're the weaker vessel, you know. <laughs> I love you. You know. I'm an idiot, I suck, whatever. And so we got back into unity because I knew I was going in and I had to bring, I had to bring the spirit of God into that, into that room and praise God, this guy gets healed. This guy gets healed, but would he have gotten healed if I wasn't in unity with my wife? I don't know. I don't know, but I didn't want to take that chance because this verse scares me. It should scare you. This will cause you to be in unity with your spouse. The other thing, I, I, I recently told the, the men's prayer, and you should be at men's prayer on Tuesdays and women's prayer on Thursdays, but I talked to them about, about whatever God gives you responsibility for, he expects you to govern and take authority over. And as a man, we should be taking authority and dominion over the situations happening in our family and in our household, because we are the spiritual leaders. We are the head of our household. Now, ladies, you can do this with your careers or your body or different relationships or whatever, but I, I was teaching the men, hey, let's... Let, let me show you what I was taught, 
And that is, I literally say and move my body and step into a place of authority. And I say, in the name of Jesus, I am now stepping into a place of spiritual authority over my home. And in the name of Jesus, I speak to every devil that is operating in my home, spirit of witchcraft, spirit of infirmity, spirit of devour, I forbid you to operate in my home because this is my territory and you can't come here. You don't have access here. Get out of my house in Jesus' name. You are called to govern whatever God has given you responsibility for, so it's a great thing to do to learn how to pray. That's why you should be knowing people that pray and in prayer meetings so that you can learn how to, how to pray. But there are times when you're gonna need someone to pray for you. There are times when I don't know what to do. I don't know, I can't see a way out. I, I, I don't know what next steps are. I don't know anything. I need somebody else to come and pray for me. Because sometimes you're in the fight. Sometimes you're in the middle of the ring, you're taking shots, you don't even know where they're coming from. That's why you gotta go to the trainer and say, hey, what's going on? Help me, help me. And then you go back in after he tells you what's going on. There's a, uh, there's a time where you will need somebody to pray for you, so it's important that you have people in your world that you're connected to a place where that someone can pray for you. There's this awesome story in 2 Kings 6, and this is where Elisha has a servant with him, like, like an assistant, and, uh, and all of Syria is after Elisha. Because what's happening is uh, the Syrian army and Israel, they're fighting. And every time the Syrian army comes to attack, it's like Israel is one step ahead of them. They already know they're going to be there. They already know they're there. And so the Syrian king is like, what is happening? And they're like, it's that Elijah guy, the prophet. They're like, he hears you in your bedroom when you speak. That's why they're one step ahead of you. And he says, I'm going to kill that dude. So he sends the whole Syrian army after Elisha, and Elisha's there sitting there in this city with his assistant. And that's where he pick up the story. He says, there he sent... Therefore he sent horses and chariots and great army and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city where Elisha was. And when the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha, arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? It's like I'm at my wits end. I don't know how to get out of this. There are, we are surrounded by our enemies. So Elisha answers, he says, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. That the Lord, then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. But it was because this servant boy had a guy named Elisha that could pray for him and say, Lord, open his eyes, he can't see. Show him that we have more with us than against us. Show him that he is greater as he is in him than he that is in the world. Sometimes you need somebody with you that can pray for you. And if you're saying, man, everything's cool in my life, I don't need nobody, well then go be somebody for somebody else. Go be that somebody. Go pray for somebody. I was talking to a guy the other day and he said, I don't want to go to Emerge because, you know, I'm not struggling with anything or whatever. And I go, well then go help somebody else out. Like be a leader. Like help somebody else. It ain't all about you all the time. It is about you, but not all the time. Sometimes it's about other people. The last one, and this is found in, uh, I wanna invite the worship team up as well. This one's found in Matthew 26, 30. It's a, it's a different rendition of the same story. It's the last thing that they did. It says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The last thing is praise and worship. I think it's just so interesting that the very last thing that Jesus does with his family before he goes to the cross is he sings a hymn. He praises God. 
he worships God. How crazy is that? There must be something to this. There must be something to this praise and worship thing. That's the last thing that Jesus did. I can remember growing up and every, every year we would, for Christmas, we'd go up to Bakersfield because that's where my extended family lives. All my aunts and uncles, my grandpas and grandpas and grandmothers and everything, they all lived up there. So we get together on my dad's side and it was my dad's dad. We'd sit around the table and we'd all have our food or, or right before we get released to go get our food, like buffet style. And, uh, and my, my grandfather would lead us in a, in a hymn, like a, like a legit hymn like the old school hymn. And, uh, and I never thought about why he did that. I just was kind of like, hey man, I want to eat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can't sing, you know, like. But it was always like kind of a like, a, a, like if I got out of my I'm a cool guy, teenage mindset, it was a cool thing. Like we all, we all sang a song together. And I don't know if it was because of this, because he's not with us anymore, I can't ask him, but, but he always, every time we got around the table, we'd sing a hymn. And there was something powerful about coming together and singing and worship. My favorite part of the service on a Sunday is when we come together and sing. There's something, there's something crazy about it. There's something powerful about it. When I go to Emerge, I love it when all the dudes are just like going after God, like uninhibited, not trying to be cool, not trying to, but just, just going after God. There's something raw about it. It doesn't sound good. <laughs> but there's just something raw about it. There's something raw about it. Worship is is we, we worship and we praise for a lot of different reasons. One, because we're, we're, we're commanded to in the Bible. Two, maybe it's a response to something good that God has done. Or, or three, maybe it's, a, maybe it's preceding your breakthrough. Maybe it's an expectation that, that when you praise, breakthrough's coming. Oftentimes the, the praisers and the worshipers would go out in front of the armies of Israel in the Old Testament and they would praise and they would sing before they fought. You guys might remember the, the story of Paul and Silas in the, in the jail and they're in the jail and they start to sing and they start to praise and the chains fall off of their, of their hands and they, and they get free. There's something so powerful about worship. And I know there's other ways to worship than just singing, but I'm talking about singing. I'm talking about singing to him. I'm talking about what Jesus was talking about in the Last Supper. And, and in the service, it's the one time in our, in our service that we get to give to God. All the other stuff we're, you know, we're receiving, we're being fed, but it's worship, it's not for us, it's for him. I used to come to, I used to, come to church after the worship. And I would blame it on, oh, the worship's not very good, which it wasn't amazing. But the worship isn't for me, the worship is for him. And it's not like God's insecure and he needs us to worship him because he's insecure. He just wants to hang out with people that know who he is. They say one of the uh, greatest things that you can hear is your own name. When we begin to praise God for who he really is, the Bible says he inhabits our praises because we enthrone him. When we praise, when we worship, we enthrone him. We tell him he's God. We tell him he's Lord. We worship him, we magnify him. And as you magnify him, he gets bigger. And as he gets bigger, your problems in your world get smaller. And you realize that whatever you're facing, he can handle. That whatever you're facing, he's got you. He's got you. And he's seeking. He's looking for worshipers. The Bible says in John 4, 23 to 24, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking 
such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is looking for people who will worship him in truth, people that will come humbly and transparently before him. But they're also, he's also looking for people to worship him in spirit, which means you get yourself out of the way and let your spirit connect with his father. And just let it go, just, 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 just worship. Don't worry about who's on your left and who's on your right, just connect with him. Let your soul breathe, let your spirit breathe. This is for him. But you'll find that as you give him worship, you get back so much more. I just saw a testimony of this girl who, who during our worship night here at church got healed of, after four years of, a, of an injury, just in the worship. Because when you worship, you go into the throne room. You enter into his gates, into his courts. And when you get drawn near to him, he draws, he draws near to you. One of the most powerful weapons you can possess is the ability to worship. I don't just worship on Sundays. I feel like all I do in my car, at home, when I'm praying, I just worship. I just worship, I just love it. My soul and my spirit connects to God and I can't even sing. But I found that God doesn't care. He just wants somebody in truth. He just wants somebody in spirit just to worship Him. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 